Can you use that water? Good morning. It's good to be here. It's almost unreal being with you this morning, you know. A lot of you I know, and it's good to see you. A lot of you don't know, and it's good to make your acquaintance for the first time. Can I just say, you don't know me for a long time. When you see me at the end, will you please not say you haven't changed? Because you're saying you've always looked 68, and I really, I really don't need that. So it's good. Seems a bit unreal, actually, you know, to be meeting the church here, but not being at the building where I was for all those years. It's just, just a bit odd. Morning, as we drew in, the kid said to me, "He says, Dad, you've hit the heights now because I've given you two traffic cones, keeping a parking space." I've never had two traffic cones in a parking space reserved for me ever in my life. So I feel, if I go to glory now, you know. And the music, guys, was great. Loved it. I was a bit worried about Mick when he started with that little guitar. I thought, I know he's got bigger, but his guitar... I thought, I thought his guitar looks really small. It's great. Bless the Lord. Yeah. You've missed people being rude to you, Mick, haven't you? See, you become comfortable. It's great. You can imagine it's quite difficult to know what to talk to you about, isn't it? Like this, three and a half years since I've talked to you and uh, really prayed about it a lot and uh, thought about it and uh, felt the Lord say, look, just don't do anything until you get back from holiday. That was the middle of June. And then I went into church first morning, back from holiday, opened the Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, if you want to open your Bible today, if you got it. And the verse jumped out of me, first thing that morning, I just sensed it was the verse for today. I want to read to you from 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 7 through to verse 10. 2 Chronicles, Chronicles by the way, is in the Old Testament, just in case you've sort of lost the plot the last few years. 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 7 to 10. Then the priests brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and covered the ark and its carrying poles. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets, stone tablets, that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. Let me just set the scene by putting these verses in context for you this morning. Then I want to speak about about verse 10. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses had placed in it at Horeb. This is the dedication, you read the chapters before, of Solomon's temple, the first temple built by David's son. It was fabulous. Most of the work on the temple was done by a man called Hiram. So it must have been good, hadn't it? That's what it says. In these verses, they're bringing in the Ark of the Covenant into the new temple. And the Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's presence with the nation of Israel. It was the most sacred of Israel's holy things. And God has said that he would dwell there with his people. 
In effect, the ark was simply a little portable chest with a lid. In old money, it was three and a quarter feet long, two and a quarter feet deep, two and a quarter feet wide, or 1.1 by 0.7 by 0.7 meters, made out of acacia wood, covered with gold, inside and out. And on the ark was a lid with two cherubims hammered out of pure gold. And the lid of the ark was called the mercy seat. And each day, sorry, each year on the day of atonement, the blood was sprinkled there by the high priest to make atonement for the sins of the people for another year. The ark was viewed as the locus of God's presence with his people. Years later, King Hezekiah would pray to the God enthroned between the cherubim. In effect, as the Levites, followed by King Solomon and all the leaders of the nation, brought the ark into the new temple, they were symbolically bringing in God's presence. It was a magnificent occasion. It was probably the high spot in the whole of Solomon's reign. And then we hit verse 10. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses had placed in it. So why does the Bible say that? Why does the Bible say it was empty except for the tablets of stone that contained the Ten Commandments? Why is this verse so important? Simply this. The ark used to contain a lot more than this. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. That's this. The Ark contained, one, the gold jar of manna, two, Aaron's staff or rod that had budded, and three, the stone tablets of the covenant. The Ark of the Covenant used to have it a lot more than it contained on this day. That's why the Bible uses the word nothing. There was nothing in the Ark except Despite the splendor of the temple and, and, and just the amazing occasion, something was missing. Listen to Deuteronomy 10.3. So I made the ark out of acacia wood and chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one. This is Moses. And I went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. The Lord wrote on these tablets what he had written before, the Ten Commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I came back down the mountain and put the tablets in the ark I had made as the Lord commanded me and they are there now. That's how the tablets of stone got there. Now, Exodus 16, 33. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in the front of the testimony that it might be kept. That's how the pot of manna got there. Thirdly, number 17.10. The Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff, Aaron's rod in front of the testimony, to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. Moses did just as the Lord commanded. So that's how Aaron's rod got there. The ark, for a long time, in Israel's history, contained in the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence, these three things. But by 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 10, they've gone, they've disappeared. There's nothing in the Ark except the tablets of stone. So who took the jar of manna? And where did Aaron's rod that budded disappear to? 
Where did they go? Well, it gets very difficult because neither the Bible nor any Bible commentator will tell you what happened to them. So what I want to share with you this morning are my thoughts. This is my thoughts, actually, what happened. And this is what I believe the Holy Spirit has given me for us today. Three things. The tablets of stone represent God's word to us. That's how you come to faith. Through the word of God. The tablets of stone represent the word of God. You may have an emotional reaction when you come to faith, when you're born again of the Spirit of God. But faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is foundational to our faith. You lose that, you lose your foundation. You've got no roots whatsoever. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message through the Word of God says Romans 10 and verse 17. And so as the children of Israel begin their journey... With God, they come to Mount Sinai, and there God gave Moses his word. It was foundational to the nation, and it was foundational to their future. And hundreds of years later, at this magnificent dedication of Solomon's new temple, it's still there. The word of God is still in the Ark of the Covenant. The history of the Ark and the stone tablets can be traced for nearly a thousand years. From the construction at the time, of Moses to the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. There's no record of the Ark of the Covenant or these tablets of stone survives in Nebuchadnezzar's final attack. Jerusalem was destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant was destroyed. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet prophesied it would happen. Jeremiah 3.16, the Lord declares men will no longer say the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. He will not be missed, nor will another one be made. Whatever the film, the Raiders of the Lost Ark says, the Ark of the Covenant is not in a huge warehouse in America, having been found by Indiana Jones. If you believe that, then your theology is a little bit wrong. It's Hollywood instead of the Bible. It was almost certainly destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And along with it, the tablets of stone. It was over. A thousand years in Israel's history was over. Listen, church, if we, if we ever stop rejecting, start rejecting the word of God, if we ever stop trusting what it says, if we ever stop basing our lives upon God's word, then it's over for us. As well. Do you believe that? Our relationship with God cannot continue without the foundation of God's word. Salvation is more than an experience, it's more than just an emotional relationship. It has to have a legal, trustworthy basis, and that is the word of God. And that basis is our foundation. But at this juncture in Israel's history, wasn't over for them. Their relationship still existed. The tablets of stone were still in the ark in the new temple. But the golden pot of manna wasn't. If, this, if the stone tablets represent the word of God, then the pot of manna represents God's miraculous provision for his ancient people back then. Exodus 16 verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. You can't get anything much more miraculous than that, can you? God 
raining bread from heaven. And God fed them that way for 40 whole years. Bread from heaven manna illustrates God's miraculous provision for his people. Let me tell you something. This church, this church was founded in the miraculous. It was birthed in the miraculous. Let me tell you a couple of stories from a long time back. In 1980, we were meeting in the school in Primley Avenue and we needed our own place. And so the Lord showed me the land close to Junction 10 and I did a lot of research and phone calls and I discovered it was owned by the Earl of Bradford who lived, his family still lives at Western Park, just under an acre, perfect location just before Junction 10 on the main road. There were horses grazing on it. I remember it very, very well. The back of the side, there was grass, there was grass. And right down the middle, there was a a barbed wire fence. There were horses that side and horses that side. So I took advice from people that knew a lot more than I did. I'd only been a pastor 18 months, didn't know much. And I approached the, the agent and we had no money. The church was only 18 months old. I told him that we wanted to buy this acre, this site, and we offered him £5,000, which back then was a lot of money. And he said to me, the Earl's age, which side of the barbed wire do you want? Miracle number one. Without thinking, I blurted out, both sides, please. You know what? That was divine interception. I spoke without thinking. It was one of those God moments, one of many over the years. The agent, I remember him on the phone, he coughed very politely, you know, and said that he would approach the earl with that offer. Much to our amazement, my amazement, the earl said, I accept the offer. Miracle number two. Then we put up a big notice board that said, site of new church for Warsaw Evangelistic Centre, because that's what our name was. All hell, I mean hell, broke out for the next two years. The man beyond the onslaught had been trying to buy that piece of land for years and years and years. He wanted to park his lorries on it. So he approached the Earl's agent and he said to the Earl's agent, whatever the church has given you for that piece of land, we will give you seven times more. Back then, seven times five thousand pounds was. Oh, some of you are a bit slow on your math here. Thirty-five thousand pounds. Seven times. We could never have matched that offer. We didn't even have the five thousand. Amazingly, the Earl of Bradford said, "No, I like what that church is doing." The Earl didn't know us. He'd never met us. He never, ever visited the church. I have no idea why he turned down that offer and he stuck with ours. It was yet another miracle, you see. It was a miracle of divine provision. You have to have the miraculous in your life and in the life of any church. Because that's what these people had at the beginning. We needed planning permission. It was a long, it was a bloody battle. We fought, we struggled. Every week we're in the local newspaper. Our opponents used every trick in the book they could use to stop us getting permission. It was exhausting, but it was exhilarating at the same time, you know. Month in, month out, and a lot of you were here. You were there with us. We prayed, we battled, we argued, we explained, we despaired, we believed. We did it. 
And after a lot of prayer and intercession, we got planning permission. What a day that was. Incredible. But they had one last card to play. If you remember where the site is, it's on quite a dangerous bend on the dual carriageway coming up to to Junction 10. And so the protesters said, on grounds of safety, you cannot build that church. Because as people pull off the car park, people will get run down. It's too dangerous. In fact, after that, whenever we had funerals or weddings, this good man here used to stand in the the middle of the road and stop the traffic, bless him, didn't he? Tom Davis, stop, and all the traffic. In fact, we did one funeral once for his grandma, and the traffic was stacked right back into water. There was that many cars pulling off the car park, it was right into water. But it was a dangerous bend. They had a very, very valid point. It went right up to Norman Fowler, who was then the ministry, Minister of Transport. And then, a young man from Warsaw went on a drinking holiday to Spain, And for one whole week, he was drunk. And on the Friday night, he walked down to the harbour and he met, coincidentally, another young couple, also from Warsaw. And they stood with this young man from Warsaw who'd been drunk for a week and they shared Jesus with him. And they told their testimony. And he was amazed. And he said, listen, I'm flying home tomorrow, Saturday afternoon. Can I meet you tomorrow morning here again at the harbour? And so they met him again. And again, they shared Jesus and said, listen, when you go home, there's a little church in Warsaw, an Assemblies of God church up in Warsaw Wood. They said, you go there and listen what they have to say. So that Sunday evening, they're in fun in there, aren't they? So that Sunday evening, you went to church. And he gave his life to Jesus. And he was born again with the Spirit of God in the little church in Warsaw Wood, Sunday night. He goes to church on Monday morning. Sorry, he goes to work on Monday morning. And he works at the Ministry of Transport in Birmingham. And his boss drops a big file on his desk. And he says, sort this out, will you? And it was our application. Is that God? Is that God? Is that the miraculous provision? All within 72 hours of hearing about Jesus for the first time. After going to Spain to get drunk, get saved on Sunday night. Next morning, he's adjudicating on whether our church could be built. That's God. Right man, right place, right time. Another breathtaking miracle of provision. You see, the pot of manna represented the miraculous. And we need the word of God, church, but we also need to see the miraculous. Do you believe that? We need to see. Jesus, his whole ministry, he was the son of God, church. His whole ministry was attested to by miracles. If he needed miracles, then we certainly do. The affirmation of the miraculous, the supernatural, in our day and age, in 2015. You see, for these Israelites, the the reminder of God's miraculous provision was gone. And you know what? It happens to us as well very easily, silently, quietly, gently, unnoticed. We always used to trust God for every provision in our lives. We asked Him about everything that concerned us. Brought every aspect 
of living to him in prayer. We involved him in every decision we ever made. But one day, you suddenly realize that the pot of manna has gone. His miraculous provision is no longer there. Oh, we still follow Christ. The word of God is still the foundation of our lives. But somehow the miracles have dried up. They're no longer there. And there's one person and one person alone that's responsible for the miraculous drying up. And that's me. And it's you. You are the delimiter to the miraculous in your life. Nobody else. I restrict the supernatural in my life. Why? How? Because deep down we think that we can do the work of the Almighty. So we stop expecting and we stop believing for miracles. There was nothing in the ark except two stone tablets. The miraculous had gone. Aaron's rod. If the tablets of stone speak of God's word and the pot of manna speaks of the miraculous provision, then God's, sorry, Aaron's rod speaks of authority. If you read Numbers 16 and chapter 17, those chapters take place against a story of rebellion against God. Moses and Aaron are the targets for the rebels. Let me read this to you. Number 16, Korah and Dathan and Abiram took men and rose up before Moses with 250 leaders of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much on yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exhort yourself above the assembly of the Lord? You see, Korah and Dathan and Abiram were very, very clever men. I would say they're probably better leaders than Moses and Aaron. They've quickly got another 250 leaders to follow them. And the Bible says the 250 were men of renown. They weren't stupid, Korah and Dathan and Abiram. They knew what they were talking about. They said, all the congregation is holy. Yes, it is. Every one of them. That's true. And the Lord is among them. Absolutely. It was all true. They were very well organized, these leaders. They were educated. They were good communicators. You couldn't say that about Moses and Aaron. Moses was the most reluctant leader you ever find in the Word of God. He just didn't want to take on the job of leading the children of Israel. He tried every trick in the book to get out of God's core. Every trick in the book. And he was such a poor public speaker that God has to recruit Aaron to be his mouthpiece. But there's a huge difference. God appointed. God appointed Moses to this role. And he anointed him for that time and that place and that role. And with that appointment comes great authority. Just who do you think you are, Moses? Korah and his friends demand to know. Wasn't important what Moses thought about himself. What did God think about Moses? And it rapidly becomes clear what God thinks about Moses. He's incensed at the rebellion. And although it's targeted against Moses, it's really against God because God appointed this man. And he sends an earthquake and he swallows up the 250 leaders that have followed him. And the next day the people begin to complain against Moses and Aaron. 
They accused Moses and Aaron of killing these rebels. So God's anger burns against the people and he sends a plague and almost 15,000 people die in the plague. And there's a huge groundswell of rebellion against Moses and Aaron. It's a desperate situation. And then in number 17, God says to Moses, take a rod from every one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Every tribal leader, take his rod. Aaron, of course, is the leader of the Levites. Place them before the Ark of the Covenant. The next morning, 11 rods are exactly the same as when they were placed in. But Aaron's rod has sprouted, budded, produced blossom, and then ripe almonds. You see, Moses and Aaron's authority had been vindicated. And God instructs Moses, put the rod inside the Ark of the Covenant as a sign of God-given authority. Just listen really, really carefully. God appoints and God anoints. And with that anointing comes authority. We saw here, over the years at Junction 10, God taking people, appointing them, anointing them and giving them authority. God first appointed Pete and Jenny Christopher for the vine. When they stepped down, he appointed Kev Davis and anointed Kev for that role. What amazing things have happened through Kev. Amazing. God called and anointed a young man called Tim Fellows to bring church leaders together, to break down the barriers between churches. I'm telling you, that many years ago, church leaders never spoke. There's no fellowship. He brought them together. He called it the net. And its ministry has had a huge effect on the black country and far beyond that. And it still does today. The Lord also called a young man called Steve Clay that set up an organization called First Base. It was accommodation for teenage homeless. And then Steve built the small street center. He was appointed and he was anointed for that role and that place and that season. And then the Lord moved Steve and he moved on to YMCA in West Bromwich and well beyond that. God appointments. You can't get past God appointments. The Lord called Scylla to set up stepping stones to help victims of domestic violence. Chris Niven was called to set up the Junction 10 counselling service. Tony and Pat Humpage were called to set up Chamberlain House, giving respite care for carers. Keith and Anne Good served God in Cairo, taking kids off the rubbish dumps of Cairo and giving them a holiday for the first time in their life. Nikki and James Woodcock planted Open Heaven Church in Wensbury, and they're still there. They're still there. Serving the very, very needy community. And James Woodcock travels the world giving advice to governments on how to use natural resources wisely. A few weeks weeks ago, James was talking to the president of South Africa, a young guy from Junction 10. You know why? Because God called him and God appointed him and God anointed him. And with that comes authority. It's always been God's way, church. He appoints and he anoints and then he blesses and then he prospers. And I won't even try to name the hundreds of men and women in this church who served in the church. These people served outside. They served in this church and God appointed them and God anointed them, hundreds of them. 
And they carried an authority for that time and that ministry and what they did. And some of you are here this morning and some have moved on. As individuals and as the church of Jesus, we we need miracles as symbolized by the pot of manna. But we also need God-given authority symbolized by Aaron's rod that budded. Because without the miraculous and without God-given authority, church, we are diminished. We are diminished. We are not the people God expects us to be. But in our text, those symbols have gone. So where did they go to? The Bible doesn't say, but we can make a deduction. In 1 Samuel 4 verse 16, the Philistines captured the ark and placed it in the temple of their God who was called Dagon. And it's quite probable that they, they took the pot of manna and Aaron's rod. Very significantly, right at that time, a boy was born and his mother gave him the name Ichabod. Sadly, it means the glory has departed. I think those things disappeared during this time. So Christian, Christ follower this morning as I begin to wrap up, let me ask you. I was given very clear instructions not to preach too long. Because my daughter wants to see Roger Federer beat Djokovic in the final this afternoon. And she says, Dad, when I start doing that. So let me ask you this morning. What about the miraculous in your personal world? Have you been robbed? Do you expect it? Do you see it? Would it blow you away if God did a miracle for you? And what about the authority that we carry as children of God? Do you still carry that authority? Is it increasing? Or is it diminishing? The Bible commentators commentators don't know exactly when these symbols were lost from the ark. And often in our lives, we don't know precisely exactly when we lost ground spiritually. I've been there. Lost down. Robbed, running on empty, putting on the face, just trying to keep going, robbed. All we know is that at some point, Ichabod began to be written over our life. The glory has departed. Somehow we are diminished. So let me finish with this. God's appointment comes for a time and a place and a season. And the anointing and the divine authority and the miraculous are evidences of those appointments. However, if I try to step outside of my anointing, if I step beyond my calling, even although it's still the work of God, I carry no authority. In fact, I step from under the umbrella of God's protection and God's provision. Acts 16, verse 6, Paul and Timothy and Silas were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysa, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
These are some of the early church greats. Paul, Silas, Timothy. Well, they could not minister in Asia or Bithynia because it wasn't God's time and it wasn't God's place and it wasn't God's appointment. Macedonia was the location that God had for them. The Bible is very clear they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. That's strong language, church. Their motive was good. They wanted to preach the gospel in those places. But God had not appointed them to those roles. Verse 7 said, the Spirit did not permit them. God appointed me to plant a church in Warsaw in 1977. And we came in 1978. And with that came anointing and authority. For for 30 years, God blessed me and God blessed us. As a church, we some amazing things. Why? Because of his calling, his appointment, his anointing, and his authority. I always said that I would be carried out of Junction 10 in a box. But one day, God gave me some fresh instructions. And he told me to go to Womba, and so I went. It was one of the most painful things I've ever done, leaving Junction 10. It was hugely emotional. Still is at times, but we we had to go. I'm where God wants me to be now. And he's doing some amazing stuff there. We're going to have to extend the building. We're running out of space. God's doing some miraculous stuff. You and I have to know where God wants us to be. We have to do. We have to know what he wants us to do. Not our own imagination. Not somebody else's idea. We have to know what God wants us to do. And when. When is the season? You see, because unless God anoints, there'll be no blessing. Unless God appoints, there is no miracle and no authority. As for me, in my old age, I tell you this, church, life is too short for me to do my own thing. I haven't got time to waste. You know what? Neither of you. I don't care whether you're 68 or 6. Life is too short to waste. And doing my own thing instead of his thing. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed on it. I just cannot afford to miss out on the miraculous. I just cannot afford to minister, to try and minister without his authority because it's pointless. And neither can you. And neither can you. And so I'm going to ask you this morning. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how long you've been on the journey. Are you doing what God wants you to do? Simply. Are you willing to obey God's call on your life? And say, Lord, yes. Or have you stepped out when you should still be here? Or are you still here when you should have stepped out? You see, you obeying God's call doesn't affect you. It affects other people as well. You see, if I hadn't come to Warsaw, then my son wouldn't have come with me 
And he wouldn't have met his wife Lydia. And I wouldn't have my two grandsons here. Affect their life. Affect my daughter Anna's life. She made some of the greatest friendships she still got when we came to Warsaw. It doesn't just affect you, it affects other people. In fact, it's affected hundreds of people. So it's not just me. I'm just from Gornal. I'm nobody special. But you are just the same as me. We're just God's children. And so God says to you this morning, are you willing to say, Lord, yes. Whoever you are, however long you've been on the journey, however mixed up you feel, angry, disappointed, whatever, it doesn't make any difference. God says it's a new day. Draw a line in the sand. Are you prepared to say, Lord, whatever you want, any time, any place, any season, I'm prepared to serve you. Are you? Let's bow our heads because I want to pray for you if you are. These decisions are life-changing. I don't say that lightly. They're life-changing. Not just for you, but for you and your family. It could be the community. It could be this church. It could be Warsaw. It could be beyond that. Yes, Lord, I am willing. I am willing. Whatever the cost. Because then, Lord, we begin to see the miraculous. And then we begin to see authority. And then we begin to operate as you want us to operate as your church. I'm willing. If you're willing, I want you to do one simple thing. I want you to just quickly slip your hand up and take it down because it's not for me. You're going to say this to the Lord, I'm willing. Just do it quickly. Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. Anyone else? So many. Just so many. Lord, I'm willing. Thank you, Father, all over this great congregation. Lord, I'm willing. Father, we come to you this morning. We come in the name of your Lord, of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, head of the church. And Lord, you see your children here this morning, all ages, all backgrounds, all different experiences, all in different places on the journey. And Lord, there are so many here this morning that have said, I'm willing to hear your call, to obey your word, and to do what you want me to do. Now, Father, I pray you just lay hold of that. What they're saying this morning, and in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, you'll begin to operate in their lives on a level that they've never experienced before. I pray, Lord, they'll begin to get such a grasp of your word, which is the foundation for who we are and how we live. I pray, Lord, you'll begin to give them evidences of the miraculous, miraculous provision as they begin to turn to you and ask you for everything, every decision. Father, 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 Father. And Lord, as they begin to walk on the basis of your word, with a miraculous provision, I pray for such authority that the demons of hell will scream and fly when these people begin to pray, Father. I pray that the heavens will rend when these people begin to intercede for the needs of this area. Father, we pray for such authority. Lord, not bombast, not arrogance, not pride, but the authority that comes from being a son and a daughter of God who's walking in his calling. Father, bless them, I pray. Bless them, I pray. And all the people said, Amen. Bless you.